0: You guys, welcome to episode 50 of The Swish Room, the podcast that deep dives into the well-known and more importantly, not so well-known hookups of your favorite reality TV stars. I'm your host, Troy McKinney. And, um, I mean, I don't, this voice needs truly no introduction, like, but he's basically my co-host at this point. Um, my Canadian correspondent out on the scene with a microphone doing the Lord's work, just like digging through people's files and medicine cabinets for me in Canada, because I can't get there. (laughs) <laughs> Russ Martin how are you sir Troy I'm fantastic thank
1: you for having me back uh congratulations on 50 episodes buddy
0: thank you I mean I felt like who else to do my 50th episode with than you well it is an
1: honor uh Troy can we do a little bit of house cleaning up top absolutely housekeeping house cleaning housekeeping <laughs> Uh, you do not sell yourself to these people. Uh, the listeners need to go and rate, retu- rate and review on iTunes. And rate and review on iTunes, even if you are a Patreon member, to the Smushroom specific podcast. I went and did this. It took me a very long time. I'm not actually subscribed. I now am. Go subscribe to that one. Give that one some love. Push it up in the rankings. And uh, let everyone know that you think that this podcast is what?
0: iconic <laughs> you're an earth angel Please. also, <laughs> also please if you do comment uh, also let me know the words that you hate that I say as well iconic is one of them obviously but there's so many that I repeat repetitively that there has to be more
1: uh, like but um, let's do it <laughs> um, also by the way you have a birthday coming up are you excited uh, I am petrified and excited, and I'm about to join you at 30 on this Friday, which is, like, big old spoiler alert, but also Alanis Morissette's birthday.
0: I mean, can we talk? It's, like, so... It's so... It, it always works out this way when we record <laughs> together. Something... Some weird Earth thing happens where it's, like, meant to be. Uh,
1: are you technically a Gemini? You must be.
0: Um, so I'm an Aries... I'm an Aries, but I'm an Aries cusp, so I'm an <laughs> Aries Taurus cusp
1: got it well welcome to gemini season
0: (laughs) well thank you uh i mean like look as a month-long 30 year old i'm full of wisdom and all kinds of things that i can teach you so anything you want to know i've really i've lived a lot in this month uh
1: well i am expecting some sort of a care package to get me through are you kidding (laughs) no i'm not
0: Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be all of Alanis's because like, I know that you have Jagged Little Pills so I'll just give you all a box set of her flop albums
1: <laughs> I look forward to it
0: um, well spoiler alert we are talking today about Alanis Morissette and Ryan Reynolds and um, I'm excited like I you know obviously you and I are the same age so we grew up with the same affinity towards Alanis Morissette Um, we're both homosexual men so I feel like we have the same sort of like Russ and I share the same um, affinity for a strong female like we love like we've brought a lot of girl power in us and Alanis Morissette is like you know a definite pillar a building block as to like why I think because we were both probably you know super influenced by her at a really young age and she just means a lot to us
1: Absolutely. This album came out when we were seven years old, and we were just, like, tiny little angry homosexual boys bouncing around to it.
0: <laughs> my mom's... Can I tell you something really funny? My mom's yeah, so. first, like... Uh, her first, like... I think that, like, everybody around my mom, like, definitely probably knew I was gay at, like, birth. But my mom was, like... When it, she just didn't really ever think about it. And uh, when this album came out, I used to play it, like, obviously on repeat, just, like, all the fucking time. And, um, I don't know why I thought this was, like, a chic adornment. Like, I thought, like, this was something that like, a rock star, like Alanis would do on stage. And I I went through my mom's, I went through my mom's, um, closet, and I literally tied one of her, like, expensive silk scarves around my leg. And it was, like, Performing this album in the living room and she walked out and I realized that she was probably watching me for like two songs <laughs> and uh she just still pretended not to know that her baby boy was a homosexual um
1: well all in good time
0: <laughs> exactly <laughs> um well I guess we can go ahead and get started um this was an interesting relationship to to research because It's just weird. Like, it's just a weird couple that didn't make sense then, and it doesn't really make sense now, and I don't feel like I understand it any more than I did when it was happening.
1: I don't think I understand it at all. I don't think anyone understood it then, and I think even looking back and doing all this research, I am still just scratching my head at how this possibly came to be.
0: It literally makes no sense, and I mean, a lot of the stuff that I read, like, I'm sure we read a lot of the same articles... Um, and it's a lot of, like, it's a lot of people being just confused and also talking, like, really poorly about Alanis' looks, which is, like, I felt really bad about, like, how did she get him kind of thing. Like,
1: there was so much of that. Uh, people calling her ugly, uh, like I will come for you. I will knock at your door, and I will politely ask you to stop using that. Like the good Canadian boy that I am.
0: <laughs> like it's so fucking rude, and it's like okay. Like was Ryan Reynolds blessed with like a on paper attractive face? Sure, but he's also like the most boring, dull person to ever exist in the history of celebrity. Like I don't, I don't get it.
1: Oh, he is so vanilla, and finally has found another cone. <laughs> Did you just like... say your house? It
0: was like was that also, was
1: tied by a He's a real snooze. Uh, <laughs> I I didn't think much of the man before this, and after reading a whole bunch about him, I think that I think less. Uh, Ryan Reynolds is fine. He seems like a nice guy, and that's the top line.
0: Yeah, that's pretty much it. He's just a nice... He's a nice guy. He's got, like, that, like, Shep... <laughs> I don't know if uh, if you watch Southern Charm. Oh, I do. He he gives off, like, Shep vibes to me. He's got that very, like, broy, um, sort of, like, frat humor that, like, has worked his whole life. He's, like... You know what I mean? Like, he's just... He's, he's a human polo team. He literally is. Like, he's just a bro.
1: Um... And, like, not in, like, the horrible, like, college campus date rapey way. Like, right. there's nothing really negative that I have to say about Ryan Reynolds. I didn't come across anything that he had done that was totally monster-like. But, you know, he's, oh, a, no, yeah. he's a T-shirt I'll be passing on when I walk by at the mall. Yeah,
0: Exactly. <laughs> um, so, Alanis and Ryan, they started dating in February of 2002. Uh, they met at Drew Barrymore's birthday party, and they got engaged. <laughs> Stop. In I mean like I there's so much to say about that when we get to it like I don't even I, the what I've worked out in my mind I'd love to run by you cuz I I had to make sense of it it was like a Rubik's cube for me. Yes, let's jump ahead.
1: Let's get to the Drewberry more of it right now. We will get back into chronology, I promise dear listener, but I need your Drew hit me with it.
0: Okay, so what I picture is that like Drew obviously loved Jagged Little Pill and like I don't know if they were like I don't I wouldn't imagine that they were like friends but like probably just like liked each other's work and like somehow ended up at this party together and I imagine that Drew while probably smoking a cigarette and like probably really drunk you know what I mean like mm-hmm. like wine drunk I picture wow. as well um,
1: like it, six rosés in yeah yes
0: like, developing her, like, Barrymore wine, um, I picture that she just, like, introduced them and said, like, you guys would be great together. She said, like, you guys would be great together.
1: I mean, I'm full stock buying it, but what in the, like, fresh Canadian snow hell was Ryan Reynolds doing at Drew Barrymore's party while he was busy being the guy on Two Guys, a Girl, in a Pizza Place? I,
0: ha- I don't understand it.
1: Like, who at CAA sent out that invite?
0: It was... It had to be a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend that, like, invited... I mean, it makes no sense.
1: I have not been able to find so much as a Google image hit that includes Drew Barrymore and either one of these people. Uh, There's no information that connects them whatsoever other than this chance meeting at her birthday party. It's bizarre, but... It's
0: extremely bizarre, and also... It's hard for me to even, like, I don't know, maybe just because I blocked him out. I didn't block him out. I just, I've never cared about Ryan Reynolds. So it's hard for me to even, like, place where he would be socially during this time. Like, who were his friends? Like, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I can't even, like, I, I just, I, I don't know. He's just such a blind spot for me.
1: I mean, we will look for context clues later, but I like this Drew Barrymore theory. I'm subscribing to it. We are rewriting history. That is what had happened.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, they got engaged in June of 2004, and they separated in February of 07. Um, Alanis's album, Flavors of Entanglement, is heavily inspired by him, and she was very open about that. Um, and uh, this was for the first of many engagements for Ryan. Like, there's a lot of articles written about him being this, like, sort of serial monogamous, and, like, he loves to be engaged, apparently. Like, not only does he relationship hop, but he, like, likes the idea of planning a wedding or something. I don't know. Um, So that's a weird thing.
1: He's got a bit of, like, a runaway groom, Julia Roberts, to him.
0: Yeah, like, who gets engaged three times in a row in, like, uh, two years? I mean, it's it's a lot. Like, it's like, uh, okay. Um, And I do think it's worth worth mentioning that, uh, yeah, this is just, like, a relationship that you see on... They're like, there is no countdown list that exists in the internet world of, like, strange relationships that they're not on. Like, that's... Every single one. Every single one. This is their legacy, that they were this weird couple that people didn't understand, and they still are. And it's a lot of, like, oh, my God, remember when they dated? Like, it's it's mostly that.
1: But it's, oh, my God, remember when they dated for five fucking years? Yeah. Yeah. Like, they were together for a long, long time. Uh, so it was totally weird, but it wasn't a blip in either of their lives. It was a serious, long relationship, which makes it even stranger.
0: I know. I was thinking when I was doing research, like, you know, there's a lot of talk of like, children, like people asking them if like, they were going to have kids. And, like, I feel like we were just truly a. A literal like thrust away from children between these two people, and how different the world would have been if Alanis Morissette's child was from Ryan Reynolds. And you know what I mean? I can't even. Because that was like, I mean, people they were like really. This was hot and heavy, and they got to they got back together. I mean, they broke up and got back. I mean, it was the whole thing.
1: Yeah, they were. Yeah, they were serious about the whole thing. They were. We met in a previous life serious about it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, Well, do you want to start with Alanis?
1: Yeah. uh, So Alanis Nadine, middle name, Morissette, uh, was born on my fucking birthday. June 1st, 1974 in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. Uh, We are Gemini twins. Uh, She did a TV show in elementary school called You Can't Do That on Television. Uh, It was a Canadian... TV show that did, it was a local TV station, I believe, very low budget, but it ended up getting picked up by Nickelodeon. Do you remember ever watching it as a kid?
0: I've only ever seen clips of it. I don't remember really anything about it. And to be honest, I think all the clips I've seen from that show are from, like, different peoples behind the music. like Right. On it. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, So she was on it. And at a different time, Ryan was actually also on it. Uh, They both did a string of episodes. Uh, That was her first sort of foray into the entertainment business uh, before she got into music. Uh, She recorded her first demo when she was just nine years old. Uh, She was very involved in dance as a kid as well. Uh, and in Ottawa, she had garnered some attention from local A&R people, uh, but everyone thought that she was too young to sign. Uh, so when she was peddling her music around Taylor Swift style around Ottawa, uh, they said like, whoa, you're talented, but not quite yet. Uh, and so it wasn't until she was 14 that she actually uh, signed a record deal.
0: Can we talk about her, her first demo, though? Because I went on YouTube and listened to it. I'm like, Did you? Not bad. I mean, I'm just saying, like, for a nine year old girl, like, truthfully, her voice was, like, developed and strong as fuck. She had that iconic, sorry about it, that iconic Alanis Yodel. Yeah, I mean, like, truly, it was, like, it sounded like adult Alanis just singing, like, the cheesiest 80s, like, kids bop song that you could ever fathom. But she sounded really good. It was shocking. I'd suggest everybody go listen.
1: There is there's something singular about her voice. Uh, her early music was very color by numbers pop, uh, but she does have a unique quality to her voice. I agree.
0: I just love the idea of like of like nine or ten year old child prodigy prodigy Elena Force that like like pr- pouring her heart into a microphone or what she thinks is her heart at that point. Um, And it's, like, some crazy love story. You know what I mean? She's, like, nine. Like, I don't know. She was just, you know, she's just one of those girls. Like, she was just clearly born to... She was a child prodigy. Like, she was so talented as a kid, but nobody... I don't think people really, like, understood her talent for a really long time, which is really sad.
1: Yeah, no, and it wasn't until... She had sort of failed as a pop star, uh, that she went on to move to Los Angeles and to write Jagged Little Pill and all of that. Uh, but there's this huge portion of her career where she was a Canadian pop starlet. Yes, uh,
0: okay. I'm like so excited to talk about I have so yeah.
1: much to say. So she was such a little teeny bopper, uh, and With this deal uh, from MCA, she put out uh, a debut album called Just Alanis. uh, And it was dance pop. She constantly was getting compared to Debbie Gibson and to Tiffany and to uh, a personal fave, a fave of the podcast, uh, Paula Abdul.
0: Yeah. And it's like, okay, so the album was clearly horrendous. Like it was truly horrendous pop music. Like, Just empty nothingness, but also like it's like the nostalgia of it and like watching Alanis like bebop around with a perm and like be like shoulder bopping and like literally like MC Hammered. Like it's it is wild. Like it's and there's so many music videos. Like once you start, it's just this whole rabbit hole of like 80s pop star Debbie Gibson Alanis and like. From what I gather and, like, from what I've read, I feel like trying to piece this together because I can't help but compare it to, like, our version of teen pop. It's, like, from what I pick up, it's, like, if Debbie Gibson and Tiffany were, like, the Britney and Christina of, like, the pop music scene at that time, like, it feels like she was a little bit of, like, Mandy Moore. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Making hits, but, like, nobody took her seriously at all including maybe even herself a little bit but also was like a little profitable
1: certainly yeah no, it was a little profitable uh she sold two hundred thousand copies uh of her debut record uh which i guess is platinum in canada this is a much smaller country so it's easier to to rack up those certifications but that's a huge number of records like if you even think now like 200 is like what Katy perry opens with
0: yeah i mean that's amazing and like even though she was being critically panned and made fun of, they were like, "This girl's got moxie. She's got enough moxie to sell a few albums and you know deposit some coin into our our satchels." So like, whatever. Um,
1: there was an amazing review from Spin magazine. Which what was Spin magazine even doing, writing about this like twelve year old Canadian pop star? Uh, but they wrote. It's as if her high school yearbook picture came to life and made an album designed to haunt her forever. Sometimes cheese is Velveeta.
0: (laughs) Oh, sometimes cheese is Velveeta is something that needs to, like, be introduced (laughs) to our zeitgeist. No,
1: (laughs) we need to bring that back real big.
0: (laughs) I need Kenya Moore to, like, drop that at some point. (laughs) 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 Something else that I thought was really interesting, this sort of, like, folklore behind um, the, like, recording process for her as a kid when she was, you know, she was, like, 13 years old, like, hanging out with all these, like, older people. Um, So, basically, in 1988, she recorded this live version of O Canada at uh, the World Figure Skating Championship, and that's where she met this guy named Stephen Clovan, um, and he was an entertainment manager. Kind of changed her life. And he had this goal to, like, you know, basically, like, mold her, like, surround her with, like, musicians that were already established. All these, like, synth pop stars. And um, he signed her to his independent label, Hot Mustard Records, which I love. Uh, (laughs) And (laughs) she was put... uh, There was, like, all this extreme pressure on her to, like, lose weight. And it was a little bit of a Celine moment. Like, they were, like trying to sort of, like, uh, Cinderella her, which led to her having, like, like a lifelong battle with bulimia, and um, she talked about how she would, like, go to school, and then she would leave school and go to the recording studio, get really drunk, do a bunch of drugs, smoke a lot of weed, and hang out with, like, 40-year-olds all day until 3 in the morning, and then go to school and do it, again, every single day, which is, like, wild.
1: Yeah, completely wild, and probably became a lot of the the topic matter that she would later go on to write about for Jagged Little Pill. And Jagged Little Pill, I think, in retrospect, is a lot of a reaction to her being put through that machine and being put in those situations at such a young age.
0: Oh, absolutely. I definitely think it was like, especially looking back now, and it's weird because it's like it spoke to all these angry... It spoke to all these, like, um all these people i feel who like felt misrepresented or like not represented at all especially women in what was happening during music at that time and like she just i mean it's it, she so she released a second album uh, was also critically panned it was a less they called it a less glitzy production which i if i ever release an album i hope that it's described as a glitzy production um And it was pants, and that was, you know, she had a two-year contract with MCA. That was it. It was over. She had no record deal. She moved back in with her mom, and um, she was a belittled, uh, sort of mentally abused former pop star with no record contract and no money
1: no the only thing that was sort of left was that uh, she still had a publishing deal uh so that was what took her from ottawa to toronto around the time she graduated from high school i guess uh and they kept her on they wanted her to write songs for other people uh and that led to a three-year break from music uh and sort of set the stage
0: now we're going to finally talk about jagged little pill truly the reason we're recording this the reason you guys are listening I mean, like, come on. And its I'm, like, so excited. Russ, I have so many
1: things to say. And I know that you have so many things to say. <laughs> so, so many. Uh, yeah, a game just like Celine Dion was completely rebranded over the course of those three years uh, into just an entirely different artist. Uh, but it all started uh, with her meeting another songwriter, a guy named Glenn Ballard. Uh, who was a co-writer for Man in the Mirror for Michael Jackson. Uh, this guy has written for everyone. Uh, the list includes Wilson Phillips, Pointer Sisters, Aerosmith, no doubt, uh, Katy Perry more recently, uh, shout out to the Canadian listeners, uh, The Moffats. Troy, do you know who The Moffats are? Yeah, I do. Okay, all right. <laughs> uh, the Moffats and uh, your girl Paula Abdul. Uh, so, yeah, Glenn Ballard meeting him and starting to work with him uh, was what set the entire journey to Jagged Little Pill on course.
0: And he is like literally described in every article I read about him as an image maker and like I don't think there's anything more true. And I also just want to point out specifically that he worked on the Thriller album, Bad and Dangerous. He basically invented Michael Jackson. Like this guy is... And then for this to have been... I mean to me this... I mean obviously there's so many great albums and so many like amazing artists that he's worked with but like he also created the next 30 however many years of Alanis Morissette's life and career in public image like he kind of invented her in a weird way
1: Yeah, and along with, I guess, Maverick, too, who eventually she signed on with. uh, But they just completely erased Alanis up until that point. It was like a Brie Larson pop star situation. (laughs)
0: Exactly. (laughs) It's also, it's interesting, too, that it's like, in reading about the production of this album, it was literally just them. It was these two people, like, hanging out. And, uh, I mean, everything was done in... Either one or two takes, and so like all of Alanis's vocals on that album are either a first or second take, which is beyond insane. Um, and I read in uh, an interview that Ironic was the first song that they recorded together/slash wrote together, and they both kind of had no idea what they were doing, like, there was no genre that they were going for or anything specific that they were looking to sort of accomplish, they were literally just making art and doing everything by ear, which sort of became, like, Alanis's identity as a songwriter. Um, So the irony that they would end up essentially creating a genre of music that helped define a decade um, by just kind of, like, jamming out is also really wild.
1: Yeah, and she wrote everything, I guess, stream of conscious, which basically from that point on, she continued to always write stream of conscious. So these two just sat down together and the music happened or at least so the legend goes uh but you listen to that album and it's such a sound mm-hmm. like it's so specific it's so tight uh and not that the album tracks all sound like each other but they are all within a very particular wheelhouse
0: yeah absolutely There's like no better way to put it they they sound they definitely sound like they're from the same family but yeah they don't all sound alike and it's weird because the subject matter is like similar between all the songs, but also some of it is so, like, there's songs about the Catholic Church, there's songs about, I mean, like, depression, it's just, it's literally is, like you said earlier, a response to her life up to this point. Like, a response to all this, like, shit that's been put on her by all these people, and these, like, old men telling her who to be and who not to be and whatever. Um, But yeah, it's also, I feel like, worth mentioning, like you said earlier, that she... You know, it was passed by every record label, and then um, she was signed to Madonna's label, Maverick Records, and uh, they essentially just gave her free reign to literally do whatever she wanted—a complete new slate. And um, yeah, it was as if the first the first couple years of her career literally didn't exist. Which, I mean, honestly, as a person who discovered her as a- an American, I had no idea. I was also seven. It's not like I was like looking at her past, but like, I don't think nobody, I don't remember the conversation being about Alanis' pop career for a really long time.
1: No, absolutely not. Uh, And in part, it was because Maverick actually went to MCA Records in Canada and got them to withdraw every single copy of an Alanis record that had been put into a store by that point. They ripped everything from the market. Uh, and they marketed her as a new audience or as a new artist, uh, and it's a totally different audience, right? Uh, the yeah. people who were and the end consumer for the Jagged Little Pill record were just like not people who were going to be listening to a Canadian teen pop star, uh, and it really worked. You could never ever pull off something like this now. Yeah. Uh, there would be just a way back web and a deleted Instagram and a, the internet never forgets mentality about this kind of a rebrand. Uh, but it worked 100%. I think the only place it didn't really work, uh, was Canada. Uh, I did read that the Canadian radio programmers, uh, refused to program, uh, her music when she started to release singles off of Jagged Little Pill because they're like, Oh no, 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 not, not this bitch. Uh, But it worked completely in the States, and when she started to get success, Canada basically shut up about it.
0: You guys, I hate to cut you off, but at this point, I think you know the drill. You've got to be a Patreon member to hear the remainder of this episode. So, go to patreon.com slash ebpsychos. At that point, you will uh, be asked to donate, and then when you donate at this level, you'll get this podcast, you'll get the remainder of all the episodes every single week. You'll get Liz Bentley's Feathers in My Hair, which is the Teen Mom podcast, um, you'll get me and Molly's, uh, Brittany and Kevin Chaotic Special, you'll get all the stuff that Molly does exclusively through Patreon, it's well worth it, and also, if you're not a member of our Facebook group, go to com. it'll take you straight to it, and, uh, all we do all day and all night is talk about reality TV, it's super fun, so, like I said, patreon.com slash ebpsychos and com.